0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. All right. Well, good morning, everyone, once again. Uh, today, we're going to be continuing in our series in the book of Ruth. Uh, So we'll be finishing off the book of Ruth this morning with Ruth chapter 4. Now we're going to do the whole chapter. So as we go through uh, the different points, we'll read uh, different uh, parts this morning. But Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the Redeemer. Last time in the book of Ruth, we saw where a brave plan had uh, taken place. The ladies had come up with a plan to get Ruth uh, married, and Ruth had uh, done what was asked of her. She showed bravery. She showed faithfulness and ingenuity. And now Ruth is returned back home and now has to wait as Boaz has to do what he has to do. Boaz now has to go about his role as the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. Marriage is in the near future, but now the burden is placed on him to win his bride. It's beyond her But it's not beyond Him, and it's certainly not beyond the Lord. So in this text, we're going to to see three sections this morning. The first thing that we see is the actual process of redemption uh, in the story. So what Boaz has to do uh, and those legal proceedings. And then we see restoration as we see what happens at the end of the story and how God is moving uh, and leading in their lives. And then thirdly, the last thing we see is a genealogy. And that genealogy acts as the final signature of the master designer in this story. Well, as we think about this story, I was thinking about weddings. Weddings are a wonderful time for families, It's a time of excitement, heightened emotions, Uh, everybody's uh, getting ready. Some of those emotions are good, some of them not so good. And for those who maybe maybe experienced a bridezilla or something like that, uh, somebody who gets a little uh, angry or whatever at weddings. But for the most part, they're a time of rejoicing and a time of celebrating for a couple what has been, but also where things are going as they move forward. A new family, new adventures, new possibilities. Weddings have those many emotions, but always that sense of excitement. Well, I remember on my wedding morning, I was extremely nervous. I woke up that morning early. I could not go back to sleep, so I decided to hop on to Call of Duty. Uh, so I turned the game on start started playing Call of Duty. And what I remember is, is I wasn't the only one up early that morning. My dad apparently was also nervous because he never plays video games. Uh, But he came in there with me and said, let me hop on there with you (laughs) at like six o'clock in the morning. Uh, We were excited, but there was also that sense of uh, nervousness. The emotions were high. Well, God often uses the idea of marriage and weddings to communicate uh, some truths about himself and about our relationship with him, that of redemption, God loves to use the examples of husband and wife to help us understand our relationship and our connection to Him and where everything in the story of life and in the story of the Bible is heading. Redemption in the Bible is a beautiful love story. It's a story of our Redeemer chasing and pursuing us, of winning us, buying us, redeeming us, and then leading us home. Redemption, restoration, a beautiful future is all possible because of the Redeemer. In this story, in the end of Ruth's story, we see a a story of love, redemption, family, but also foreshadowing of what God is doing in the larger narrative of the Bible, as well as foreshadowing Christ, foreshadowing Jesus. So as I said, as we go through this morning, We will read the text in different places, but before we get started, let's go ahead and pray together this morning. Lord, this morning, I pray that you would teach us from your word. Lord, thank you for the fact that we have a redeemer. Lord, thank you for the fact that you loved us, that you pursue us, and that you are calling us to yourself. Lord, in this story, as we look at how you have led in the life of Ruth and Boaz, thank you for that example and that reminder for us and how you are interacting in our stories. Lord, teach us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Ruth chapter four, verses one through 12. The first thing we see is the idea of redemption. So Ruth chapter four, one through 12 says this. Boaz went to the town gate. And took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you. About it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. Chapter 4 begins with the official proceedings in regards to redemption not only of the family but of the land and the inheritance. So witnesses are called to observe the proceedings, and this is happening at the city gate. This is where uh, it was a common place in that day and time for things like this to happen, but that was also a place that was very public. There'd be plenty of witnesses uh, and other people around as well. Well, in this story of Boaz and of redemption, we see foreshadowing of some truths about the gospel. In Boaz, we see some foreshadowing of Christ. The first thing I want us to see, even as we talk about this, is you see, redemption requires a redeemer. Naomi and Ruth weren't possible, it wasn't possible to redeem themselves. They had to be redeemed. For redemption to take place, someone, a redeemer, had to do that for them. Redemption requires a redeemer. Boaz then begins to speak to the other Goel. The land needs to be kept in the family. That's part of what they're doing here. But but notice that this also requires payment. In order for this to happen, a price has to be paid. Redemption wasn't free. It had a cost to it. The Redeemer had to pay a cost for that which was being redeemed. And for us, that's the same thing this morning. You see, redemption... Is freely given, but redemption in this case and in ours isn't cheap. Redemption had a high cost to it. For us, redemption was bought with the very precious blood of our Redeemer. 1 Peter 1, 18-20 says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, He has been revealed for your sake. The Redeemer had to pay a price for redemption. And for our redemption this morning, that price was paid on the cross. Redemption... Has a cost. And then the text continues. The man replies, All right, I'll redeem it. Verse 5, Then Boaz told him, Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Verse 6, Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land; I cannot do it. Then Boaz talks about the reality of redemption will not only include the land and the inheritance, but also the family. And the other redeemer realizes at that moment that the cost is too high for him. It would endanger his own estate. Putting that money in to that to go to the line of Elimelech uh, that would uh, mess up potentially his own inheritance. For him, the price isn't worth it. But for Boaz, who loves Ruth, no cost is too high. Redemption for Boaz isn't based off gain or even potential loss, but is instead motivated by something else love. The love of the Redeemer leads him to redeem not only the inheritance, but Ruth, his bride. Love motivated redemption. And that's the same for our story too. Love motivates our Redeemer to purchase his bride. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Christ died to redeem his bride because he loves her. Jesus died because He loves you. Ephesians 5, 25-27 says this, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up His life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Redemption was motivated by love. Then in verse 7, Now in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal, as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. We see an ancient custom uh, play out here and the deal is made. The price is paid. And then in verse 9, Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You were witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. So the deal is made, the price is paid, and then we see a blessing in verse 11 and in verse 12. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the, nations, uh, all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Well, as I was thinking about redemption and as I was uh, researching for pre- uh, preparation for this morning, I found this quote from Charles Spurgeon. And I think it is very good. Ye are Christ's, you are his by donation. For the Father gave you to the Son, His by His bloody purchase, for He counted down the price for your redemption, His by dedication, for you have consecrated yourself to Him, His by relation, for you are named by His name and made one of His brethren and joint heirs. Redemption is part of the foundation of who we are as Christ followers. We are those who belong to Jesus because he has redeemed us and for those who don't know him here this morning this is part of the invitation to you is that there is a god and that god loves you and he died for you on the cross and you can be redeemed restoration is not beyond you no matter where you've gone or how far you think you've fallen or all the places that you've been to it is you are not too far gone to be redeemed Jesus Loves you. And today is a day where if you haven't started that journey, you could know him and belong to him today. As we apply this, redemption requires a redeemer. Redemption isn't something you do on your own. You need a savior. And the good news this morning is Jesus can be your savior this morning. Secondly, we see redemption had a cost A price had to be paid. Redemption is free, but it isn't cheap. Jesus died for you. You were bought with a high price. That also means then that you are not your own. The way you live your life and the things you do, the things you say, the way you behave then, you are purchased. You belong to Him. So live your life then for Him. We also see this as an application, that love motivated redemption. No matter how far you've gone or how distant you feel, how much you've sinned, God loves you while you're still a sinner. You are loved and it's never too late to start that journey with him. Secondly, point two that I want us to see this morning is restoration. Not only redemption, but restoration. Verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Finally, restoration. And we have a wedding. The two become one, and from their union comes a son. Boaz has redeemed the family, and now the line of Elimelech has an heir. And then at the end of the blessing, there is a statement that Ruth was better than seven sons. The story that has been with many unknowns, many places where we weren't sure where the story was heading, where there's been a lot of difficulty that they've had to go through. There's been a lot of different uh, challenges and choices and risks along the way. But here, everything turns out for the better. There is restoration. The family restored. Ruth married. There's a new baby. The land and the inheritance are saved and preserved. You see, God blesses the ending of this story. In verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own then the neighbor women said now at last Naomi has a son again and they named him Obed he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David we see how important this baby is with the mention of Jesse and with David but here in the text we see something that is true in the bible that idea of the reversal of fortunes here all the bad that's happened throughout the story and at the beginning and all the unknowns and all the uh, different things that they weren't sure about are gone. All those things have faded away. Bitterness is gone. All the, that, that grief and that pain is gone. It's all melted away. For the family, things have finally went right. And this idea is something commonplace in Christianity. That in God's story, restoration... Is part of the end goal of everything where He is leading everything. For this family, it played out in this way. And as we hope for restoration in life, there is hope that there can be restoration not only then, but also now. Whether that be friendships that aren't the same as they used to be. There is a reality those can be restored. Broken families can be mended. God provides, God directs, God leads All those things are still possible in life. But even without all of that, the place where God is leading us all to in the end is restoration. In the end, God will make all things new. And that is the destination we are all heading. We may not have life the way we expected or the circumstances or the choices before us. We may not have all the things we wanted or desired, but we have this hope. That the end of the story will be better than the beginning. The end of the story will go right. They're a family again. For them, restoration meant being family. And we see this here. A new baby, a marriage, the family redeemed. And then we also see this truth. The end is better than the beginning. Ruth is no longer a foreigner. She's no longer an outsider. She's no longer someone who is looked down upon. Uh, She is no longer just viewed as the Moabitess. For Ruth, she is now part of the people of God in the land of promise. Exactly where God wants her to be. For Ruth, the end of the story was far better than the beginning. God restored Well, as I was thinking about this, I thought about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Many of you may know those book series uh, from C.S. Lewis. Uh, It wouldn't be me preaching if I didn't quote Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis, but uh, you got got both today. Uh, But C.S. Lewis says this about Aslan. Aslan is the character representing Christ in the books, the Chronicles of Narnia. But he he says this about Aslan. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. This is one of the hopes that we see in the Bible. That where Jesus goes, wrong is righted. Wherever he is, the story goes right. Evil is undone. Even more so as we think of him making all things new in the place where he is leading us to. Aslan roars and sorrows will be no more. Well, here in the book of Ruth, we see the lion of the tribe of Judah roaring as restoration takes place. As we apply this, God loves restoring. God loves restoring then. God loves restoration now. He loves when things go right even now. But restoration is also where he's leading everything to in the future. Secondly, restoration won't always happen for us the way it did in this story for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. But even still, restoration is still worth pursuing even in this life. But thirdly, the end of the story, where this is all heading, is a promise that it will be better than the beginning, which leads us to point number three, the genealogy. In Ruth chapter four, verse 18 through 22, this is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. Through the story of Ruth and Boaz comes the lineage of the kingship. Through their story, through what God did from chapter one through chapter four, God was leading to the place where the bloodline of David would come from. Through the line of David, comes Christ. So through this story of faithfulness and family and restoration, God leads to Jesus. God not only blessed them, but each of us. Because the reality is, because of their stories, every single person in this room has been directly impacted as a result of what God was doing in their lives and through all that time period, leading us up to where we are today each of these stories impacts us directly because of their story christ is the signature on the end of this book saying that god's providence his will the way that he directs has triumphed and in only the way that he can god used their stories to affect each one of your stories this morning through all the choices, through all the storms, through all the ups and downs and in-betweens, the line of Jesus would come through Ruth and Boaz together. It acts as the final statement of God's providence. It acts as the triumph of our king here at the end of this chapter. And as we think about this, we think about God as the master designer for those who deal with architecture and building. You know, oftentimes you have, a, you have a plan that you have to follow. And if you don't know what that plan is, when you're looking at that, that can be one of those things that you may not be able to see what's happening. You may only see the start of it and you see the foundation and you may see posts or you may see uh, the beginning of construction, but you can't see the whole thing yet. Well, and, and as we think about that reality, God is the one who sees the whole picture He is the one who is the master designer. God does this on a scale that we can't even comprehend. How he can connect not only a story from nearly 3,000 years ago to directly impact each one of us, but that God directly has you here this morning and our stories are interconnected as well. God is doing something in this place and God is doing something in each one of your lives. And he, the same God who is at work in the end of chapter four, is the same God who is at work in your life this morning as well. As we apply this this morning, God knows what he's doing. We may not always be able to see what God's plan is and what God's design is. We may not be able to see through all the circumstances and the situations that we face in life, but God knows what he's doing. Secondly, Even if you don't understand why you're going through a certain season, God does. He knows exactly where you are and exactly what you're going through. He's not caught off guard by it. Thirdly then, God brings things together for His purposes in ways that we can't even comprehend. God's doing stuff behind the scenes in your life that one day we can look back on and see how God was moving and what God was doing. He is the master designer. Well, this morning, as we get ready for our time of invitation, how is the Lord wanting you to respond today? Maybe this is a moment of choice for you. Maybe God has led you to this place today, specifically for this time. God's doing something in your story. How would he have you respond this morning? Maybe that's just being reminded that God is in control and he knows what he's doing. Maybe that is uh, something where God is asking you to do something, to step out of your comfort zone and to uh, do something that he has for you. Maybe this is just a reminder that God is faithful and he's not done writing your story yet either. Maybe he is calling you to bravery to trust him in the situations and the circumstances that you find yourself facing this week. And my prayer is that you would trust him as he moves and as he works and as he writes in your story. God in his providence is doing something in your life. This morning, how would he have you respond? Maybe that is that you need to know him today today. Maybe you need to respond to the gospel for the first time. We would love to show you in God's word how you can be saved. Maybe you're here and you need to join this church family. Maybe you've been coming for a while, but you're not a member. uh, And God is calling you to membership. Or maybe he's calling you to baptism to follow through in obedience in that way. Well, whatever you need, the altar will be open. I'm going to pray for us in a moment. I'm going to ask Barry uh, to join me up front. Let's pray together.